I'm going to read to you. Um, this was a letter that was sent to a, uh, I think it was sent to a newspaper by a teacher, a school teacher. And it's kind of a, uh, almost like a plea to parents, asking them to, well, to think about some of what they're doing um, in terms of their kids. She said, our, our instinct as parents is to be protectors. Protecting your kids from danger, of course. But even beyond that, I want to see them happy just like you. But sometimes long-term happiness comes from being upset in the short term. Parents, you and I must stop protecting them from failure at home and in the classroom. We must resist shielding them from sadness or disappointment. In order to protect their future, we must stop protecting their present at all costs. We must stop protecting them from uncomfortable and necessary growth. This teacher's been teaching, she said, for, for years, so she's kind of doing a comparison between you know, parents 30 years ago, you know, say, versus today. Mom or dad, she says, if you want your child to learn from their mistakes, let them take the bad grade. Don't ask for a second chance. Life doesn't hand out second chances most of the time. Let them make the mistake. I promise you, this mistake is so minor compared to the unfortunate seed that it'll plant in your kid's head if you corner that teacher and demand a second chance. Allowing our kids the space for accountability isn't easy, but it's necessary. It's as simple as accepting a soccer game loss in lieu of gossiping about the ref. It's allowing our kids to see us fail and get back up again. It's showing that we are the ruling forces, but, we're, but also admitting that we're human. It's apologizing when we're wrong. It's letting them fall without interfering. We all agree that our kids need praise. Words matter, and our words matter most. But that praise is often misplaced. We tend to heavily praise the accomplishments and dwell on the failures. We lose sight of the, the part that matters most, the effort. A perfect average or a big win won't carry our students through adolescence into adulthood. Resiliency will. It is the trait that will ensure our kids long-term success. Resiliency. Parents, I ask you to please hold your kids accountable. Don't give them a warning and choose not to follow through. I know that happens sometimes. I do it too. We all do. However, we have to work together in order for this to work for your child. Because whether you like it or not, they will spend almost as much time with their teachers as they do with you. Not only do we deserve the respect 
but your child deserves the discipline. Your child deserves the restrictions and the healthy boundaries. Our job isn't to make your kid happy, it's to help them grow. And a big part of growth is failure. How many of you, I don't know, by a show of hands would generally agree with that sentiment? How many say no? Few, okay. But vast, vast majority generally in agreement. Well, if you Google this stuff, if you Google this whole topic, parenting, discipline, parenting, allowing your kid to fail, anything in that realm, there's a ridiculous amount out there. And so much of it is saying kind of what this teacher said. I think there's also whether, whether you, I mean, most do agree with it, but whether you do or not, on the parenting end, I think there's actually kind of spiritual implications to what that teacher's saying. She wasn't in a Catholic school. She wasn't talking about religion. Talking about parenting. But I think there's kind of total, like I said, spiritual aspects to what she's saying. Some of you may, may remember there was a kind of a famous priest, Jesuit priest back in the 1960s. His name was Daniel Berrigan. He, uh, kind of a controversial figure. He was arrested multiple times, but always for kind of, he was very committed to peace, challenging the culture. He was a great writer, a great spiritual writer. Listen to this quote. This is about discipleship. He said, before you get serious about following Jesus, first consider how good you're going to look on wood. Before you say you're on board as a Christian, as a disciple, give some thought to how you're gonna look on wood. Wood meaning wood of the cross. I think it's kind of a, a heads up. It's kind of a warning. I think he's saying this. Faith in Jesus isn't going to save you from pain or struggle or humiliation or death or a bunch of other bad stuff. Believing in Jesus doesn't guarantee us against that stuff. In fact, some would argue it probably will encourage it in some respects. Pain and loss are part of the program. We're not happy about that. <laughs> I don't think we should smile about that. But it's reality. It's life. Pain and loss are part of the program. It's not God's program. God doesn't cause the pain. God doesn't deliver the loss. It's life's program. It's just a part of life. Some are dealt it more than others, more often than others, more intensely than others. 
But we all witness that. We all experience it. Faith doesn't exempt us from pain. Jesus doesn't grant out, give out special exemptions for his best followers. No more than God exempted Jesus, the Father. There are no get out of jail free cards in life. Again, I think we kind of look for them, we hope for them, we maneuver for them. Well, they don't really exist. I think this is one of the great misunderstandings most of us have about God. We see God in this certain way that's just not accurate. If I follow the rules, I'm gonna get a pass. I won't have many crosses. Not true. He never said that. He never suggested that. But somewhere along the way, we think if we're good about being here and what this place is all about, it's going to all go our way. Hey, think about it. Jesus followed the rules better than anybody, right? Literally better than anybody who ever lived. Jesus followed the rules. He didn't get a pass. He got Good Friday. So if he got Good Friday, and he batted a thousand, why would we think we won't encounter Good Friday? I think this gospel, this great gospel, speaks to this. And in some respects, it's kind of what that teacher was talking about, without mentioning gospel or Jesus. Martha Mary, these two sisters, their brother Lazarus is dying. They all know Jesus. I guess they all grew up with him. They're certainly friends. And they send word to Jesus for obvious reasons. This guy's in bad shape. Jesus, get here. We need you and move. The clock is ticking. Jesus' reaction, it's kind of shocking. It says he, after hearing this, it says he remained two more days in the place he was. What? He's gonna die. What are you doing? Would you get here? He waits, and Lazarus dies. Why does he wait? And they want us to know this. John, the, the evangelist, the one who wrote this gospel, they, they clearly want us to know about this two-day thing. And it says that he loved them. Like, they want us to know that, that these guys were close. So he loved this guy. The guy was dying. Time was of the essence. And that didn't seem to matter to Jesus. We are clearly supposed to be hearing that. So it must be telling us something. Their question, would Martha and Mary ask, come on, where were you? How did you let this happen? Why didn't you come? Isn't, isn't that the question that all of us at moments in life ask? When terrible stuff happens, we're like, I needed you to be here. 
Why doesn't God rescue us from pain, from heartache, from death? Like, isn't that one of the questions? I tell you this much, I think it's the reason. I mean, everybody in this church, I'll bet, knows somebody who used to be here or in another church. They were people of faith, they were people of prayer, and then something awful happened in their life. And they never came back. Because they looked at God and said, how did, how could, I asked you to be here. I asked you to come. We needed rescue. And the cancer came back. The dementia got worse, worse. The depression exploded. Her anxiety's getting worse and worse. And we believed in you. And we pleaded for you. We were Martha and Mary. So what they're doing is just they're asking the same question that these two sisters asked. Think about this, though. The way Jesus treats Lazarus, that's exactly the way the Father treated Jesus. Jesus asked for help, too. Remember in the garden? Remember right before the crucifixion? He was like, please, if you could take this away, please. He doesn't. The Father loved Jesus, but he didn't rescue him. He didn't rescue him from pain, humiliation, death, unspeakable suffering. It's like this, I think it's like, God doesn't so much rescue, as much as we want him to, as much as we kind of think he should, he doesn't really rescue, he redeems. He's not absent, he's just present in a way that we're not looking for, and we didn't anticipate. I think it's what that teacher was saying. Jesus had Good Friday. The father didn't, didn't jump in front of that bullet. That's what this teacher was saying. Parents, stop getting in between kind of the necessary, the appropriate struggle that kids need to experience in order to be prepared for life when the stakes get even higher. But if you keep jumping in front of the gunfire for your kids, what's gonna happen when you're not there? And they're away on a college campus and they've never done anything for themselves. Because you've always come to bat for them. They don't, know, they don't know what it's like to be really scared and sad and lonely. And I'm not saying we should go look into them, impose that on our kids. We don't have to worry about imposition. Life will deliver that. We know that. That's gonna come no matter what. The teacher's just saying, let it happen. Not always, I get it. I mean, I don't even have kids that I know this much. Like, hey, sometimes you gotta jump in front. Sometimes they just, you need to pick them up and protect them, of course. But are we doing it way more than we should? Are we not helping them in the process? And if we look to God, 
God's MO, maybe we get a little direction. Jesus said, would you please take this away from me? And God was like, no. Now, end of the day, Jesus wins. So do we. That's the, that's the redemption part, not the rescue. Good Friday was like no rescue happened. Easter Sunday, big time redemption. We win eternal life, not just for Jesus, for all of us. But no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. You know, think about, everybody here for a minute, think about, especially those, I don't know, my age and older, middle-aged and older, think about your parents when you were a kid, when you were kids, and kind of how your parents were with you and your siblings. Weren't they different in lots of ways than parents today? And maybe that's also like, maybe every generation says that. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not, they aren't the way they used to be. They don't make them that way anymore. I get all that. We, I think we're all wired to be that way. But even beyond that, like, weren't they different? I'll tell you this much, and I know I'm not alone here, and I've said this before, like, my parents, I never doubted their love. But at the same time, I, I don't think my parents, like, they were okay with us being angry at them. Like, they took incoming fire pretty well. Like, they didn't panic. Like, they just were not looking to be friends with us. I think as we got older, that just naturally shifted in a good way, in a friendship way. But when we were kids, it was like, no, 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 no. This is right, and we're gonna do this. And they just, when we looked at them like they were crazy for saying no to something or expecting something, they were just like, they didn't care what we thought. I'm so grateful for that. Like they had like a thick skin. Were they thicker skinned back then? I think they were. You know, when you were a kid, if you got in trouble, a call came home from a teacher or a coach or the next door neighbor because something you did, like, man, weren't you presumed guilty? Wasn't the presumption like, yeah, all right, yeah. I'll talk to them. Like, I mean, I, they might have wanted to get a little bit of the facts, but nine and a half out of 10, it was like, of course, I'm sorry. They'd be apologetic. And then we were dead after that. <laughs> but it was like, what this, this like, going to war with the teacher and the principal and the coach and the guy who lives across the street? Are you kidding? How about this? No, my kid is a kid, screwed up. Sometimes you guys screw up, right? Once in a while. <laughs> Gonna get kicked in the back here. <laughs> and you get punished, and then you don't do it again. Instead of covering for the kid, and then now like communicating, I think I can get away with this. Why was it different then? I guess lots of reasons. Here's one I'll suggest. Most parents 50 years ago, most, not all, most, were more God-centered. 50 years ago, more we hear on Sunday. 
today, more at the field, or they're reading the Times in their PJs, and they're not here. Like, we know that's not an opinion, that's a fact. Let's look at the stats. And I'm fortunately, gratefully looking at awesome exceptions right here before me. A bunch of young, young parents I'm seeing here as well as older ones. Like, you are the awesome exception. You're not most, and we know that. And maybe that's why. Because they're just not thinking about God. They're not hearing about God, and when we think about God and when we hear from God, we get the cross. We're reminded of the need for the cross. A month ago on Ash Wednesday, we walked around with a cross on our forehead. What's that about? It's the church communicating, this is a big deal. This symbol is meaningful. It's a part of life. And when we erase it, not from our forehead, but like from our, from our parenting techniques, not a good thing. Lent's about crosses. Crosses redeem. They don't rescue, but they redeem. I think of that quote again, before you get serious about following Jesus, first consider how good you're gonna look on wood. Let's get more serious.